necessary, that the Messiah must suffer these things and enter into his glory. Good morning. Nice to be with you uh, today as we dig into God's Word together. Um, for the past two months, that's what we've been doing as we've been uh, looking at the life of Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. And our series is kind of getting close to the end, and that's because the book of Mark is coming to an end. And today we find ourselves, as mentioned, in chapter 14 of 16, okay? So we only have just a few Sundays to go. Uh, the time is short, and it is. The tension is high. Jesus doesn't have much earthly time left. And so he and the disciples have entered Jerusalem. The cross is coming. It's coming on Friday. Now this morning, we're going to spend our time with Jesus the night before, okay? It's Thursday night. Uh, he doesn't have much time, but he has much to give. On the first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Okay, let's pause here. The Passover, what is that all about? For the ancient Jews and still for Jewish people today, Passover was and is an annual meal that marked a defining moment in the history of Israel. More than a thousand years before the time of Jesus, the Israelites had been slaves, like for 400 years, slaves. Enter Moses, enter God, and God sends nine plagues to get the message across, let my people go. But Pharaoh is a stubborn guy, and he dug in all the more, and so God would send one more plague called the last plague. God is just, and he will carry out justice. And this justice is going to fall really on everyone, because everyone, for all, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Jewish people were not exempt just because they were Jewish. In every single home in the land of Egypt, both Jews and Egyptians alike, someone was going to die under the wrath of justice. But there was a way out. The only way for you and your family to escape this justice was to put your faith and God's sacrificial provision. Namely, what you had to do was slay a lamb. And then you put the blood of that lamb on the outside door frame of your home. You either took God at his word and you did it, or you didn't. But either way, there was going to be a death that night. Either a dead child, specifically the firstborn son, or a dead lamb. 
As Tim Keller writes, when justice came down, it either fell on your family, someone in your family, your son, or you took shelter under the substitute, which was the blood of the lamb. If you did accept the shelter, then death passed over your home. Death passed over you, and you were saved. That's why it's called the Passover. The angel of death passed over you. This is how God rescued the Israelites out of Egypt and into freedom and into the promised land. And every year since, for a thousand years, the Passover was and still is commemorated. It was the most important moment in the life of Israel as a nation and as a people. And so this is what Jesus and his disciples were prepping for on that Thursday afternoon. So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house that he enters, the teacher asks, where's my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. Now, when evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, surely not I. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man is going to go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Wow. Things have taken a turn quickly. Uh, Things have gotten tense. Things have gotten uncomfortable because there's a betrayer in the room. Furthermore, Jesus goes on to predict that all of the disciples will run away from him when the going gets tough. They're all going to desert him. And Peter says, not me, no way. Uh, uh." Oh, yes, Peter. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter, you know, he doubles down and he says, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. And they all said the same thing, all of them. They all talked the talk, but they couldn't walk the walk. Now, throughout the series, we've been uh, saying something that bears repeating today, and that is uh, the question to ask yourself, where am I in the text? Okay, it's always a good thing to do. It's a a question you should just kind of naturally ask yourself when you're reading God's word. Where am I in this? Okay, today, answer, you and I are at the table. Because we are Jesus' friends. We are followers of Jesus. We are Jesus' disciples. This is who the text is addressing, you and I. You see, the sin that Jesus is dying for is yours, and it's mine. 
Yes, we know that Jesus dies for the sin of the whole world. Yes, yes. But right here and right now, he is confronting his followers with their sin. He's dying for our sin. That's who. We are at the table. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body. Take it. This is my body. He took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them. And they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. And this is really strange, okay? We're used to it, but not for the first time. Because what Jesus, right here and right now, he's calling an audible. He is taking a departure from the traditional Passover script. There was a script that you follow. You bring out certain things and you follow the script. That's what you say. But this is different, okay? Imagine the disciples' surprise when he's blessing the elements for the Passover and explaining their symbolism. That's what he's supposed to do. A story that has been reenacted for a thousand years. And now Jesus says something completely different from the past. He holds up the bread and says, this is my body. He holds up the cup and he says, this is my blood. Now, if we put ourselves in the disciples' sandals, these comments would be, oh, weird, head-scratching, even blasphemous. Think of it like this. All right. Consider coming to worship on Christmas Eve. Ah, Christmas. There's a script, right, that you've heard before. You know the Christmas story. You've come to hear that story. We better hear the Christmas story on Christmas Eve. But let's say you come for Christmas Eve, and instead of hearing about Jesus' birth, what you got instead was all me telling you about my birth. You'd be more than surprised. <laughs> right? So what's Jesus talking about? Oh, lots. And it would take a month of Sundays to unpack it all. But for our purposes today, I'm going to point out the what and the why. What is going on and why is it going on? Okay, you can call it the Lord's Supper, call it Holy Communion, call it the Table of the Lord. Uh, different titles, same concept. First, what is it? Answer, it is what it is. When Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood, I believe he meant what he said. In other words, is means is. Because if Jesus wanted to say, this bread represents my body, or this wine is symbolic of my blood, then that's what he would have said. But he didn't. Is means is. Jesus is the Word. And so it's safe uh, to say that Jesus knows how to express himself clearly in these final important moments. Jesus is heading to the cross. The stakes were high. He chose his words very carefully, very intentionally. This is my body. This is my blood. And for the first 1,500 years of Christianity, that's what every single one of Jesus' followers believed. Then about 500 years ago, 
came the very beginnings of the ideology known as the Enlightenment, which just kind of started to creep in about 500 years ago, but really 1800s, but 1700s, but even the 1600s, 1500s, even then. The Enlightenment was, an, was coming, and the Enlightenment was an attempt to do away with anything that didn't make rational sense. Right? And we get it. Because this don't make rational sense, Jesus. How is it possible for Jesus' body to be in a piece of bread? How can Jesus' blood possibly be in this little cup of wine? Or in people's mouths all over the world? It does not make rational sense. It doesn't. But who said anything about making rational sense? It doesn't matter how Jesus does something. Let me ask you this. How does Jesus do anything? Really, just think about it. A lot of people get tripped up on the Lord's Supper, but they don't get tripped up on him walking on water for some reason. How does he do that? Right? I don't know how he does it. Mark doesn't tell us. Here's how he does it. Jesus calms the wind and the waves just by saying, cut it. How does he do that? Leads me. He tells a paralyzed guy, get up and walk. Your sins are forgiven. And the guy does. How does he do that? I don't know. He feeds 5,000 people with a little kid's lunch. How does he do that? He raises a little girl back to life. How does he do that? I don't know, I don't know how he, how he does it, but I don't need to know how. I need to know God's word, and God does not lie. When we come to communion, and we eat of the bread, and we drink of the wine, Jesus is really present in that bread and in that wine because he said so. His body and his blood become a part of your body and your blood. And that's not rational. It's mysterious. Let's call it what it is. It's mysterious. And it is miraculous. And by faith, by faith, we believe it. That's what it is. Now let's ask why. Okay, Uh, there's a few reasons. Uh, Why did Jesus institute or begin the Lord's Supper? First answer is because he's given us a gift. He's given us a great gift. It's grace is what it is. When we receive our Lord in this special way, he says we receive the forgiveness of sins. And he wants us to understand that we are forgiven so we actually get it. We can taste it even. We can hold it. We, so we know we're forgiven. So be done with your guilt trips, people. Furthermore, this holy meal feeds our faith. It strengthens our faith. And since we've received Jesus, we receive all of Jesus' holiness and mercy and love and peace and and kindness and joy, things we all need. 
And as we receive, we also remember. Today is a very good day to remember. Uh, if you don't know it, it's All Saints Sunday, which means we, we remember our loved ones who have gone before us in the faith who are now with the Lord. And I think one of the very best times to remember our, our loved ones who have gone before us is when we come to the Lord's Supper. Why? Because they're with Jesus. And at communion, we are with Jesus. Together, we are with Jesus when we receive the Lord's Supper. It's a good time and it's a good place to remember your loved ones and most especially the one who loves you best. Jesus says we are to do this in remembrance of him. So we remember all that Jesus has done for us when we come up for communion. We remember his sacrificial love. Okay, let's go back to Mark. Let's go back to the Passover table. Specifically, I want us to look at verse 25. 25, after this, uh, Jesus says, this is uh, my blood of a covenant, okay? And then he says, I tell you the truth, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. What is he talking about there? What is that all about? Okay, to help us understand this line there, we have to go, again, back to the Old Testament. Going back to the Old Testament is very, very helpful when it comes to understanding Jesus because the whole Old Testament really points to Jesus. Okay, so here's a passage from Leviticus. Whoa. And the Lord spoke to Aaron. Who's that? Aaron is the original high priest. The Lord spoke to Aaron. He said, drink no wine or strong drink neither you or your sons, who were also serving as priests. Drink no wine when you enter the tent of meeting to offer sacrifice, right? When you go to church, okay, to offer sacrifice, so that you may not die. Okay, priests offer sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. And so this, this passage, again, is about ritual purity. Priests were not allowed to drink wine or any strong drink when they're making sacrifices to God. Right? We, that makes sense. You wouldn't want to see Pastor Jim kind of, you know, lit up when he's doing community. Right? You wouldn't want to see that. God doesn't want to see that either. It's a serious business. Coming into the presence of God, okay? You better have the right frame of mind and heart. This is serious stuff. Now, if we connect the dots to the New Testament, we will see that Jesus is called the great high priest. Aaron's the high priest. Jesus is called the great high priest. Jesus is the ultimate high priest who is going to carry out the ultimate sacrifice to God. Ah, see how cool this is? It is. And the ultimate priest, Jesus says, he's not going to have any wine ever again until he drinks it anew in the kingdom of God, and that's different from the way Jesus lived. Prior to this Thursday night, Jesus ate and drank lots. He was even wrongly accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. He partied with tax collectors and sinners. He turned water into wine, not wine into water, right? But the Last Supper, he gave it up because he says, I'm the ultimate Aaron. I'm the ultimate priest. I'm going to make the ultimate sacrifice. And that sacrifice is going to be himself. 
So Jesus is the priest, and he is also the sacrifice. All right, let me show you something by not showing you something. Again, we, we got to go back to the Old Testament. What's on the menu for that very first Passover and every Passover? Up to Jesus' time. Bread and wine, certainly. There's bitter herbs, that kind of thing. But most especially meat, specifically lamb. All right? Since the very first Passover in Exodus, all Passover meals had bread, all Passover meals had wine. But not one of the gospel writers, not Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, write anything about Jesus' Passover meal. There's no mention at all of the main course. There's no mention of lamb at the Passover, at this Passover meal we call the Lord's Supper. But Passover's not a vegetarian meal. What kind of Passover would it be celebrated without a, without a lamb? What's going on here? Well, here's what. There's no lamb on the table because the lamb of God is at the table. Jesus is the main course. You recall what John the Baptist said when he first laid eyes uh, on Jesus. What did, he, what did he came in? What did he say? He said, look, look, look. Behold, that's the lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus is the lamb. And his blood, let's go back to the original Passover. Now this is all. Jesus is the lamb and his blood will be poured on the doorframe of a cross. And God's justice is going to land on him so that punishment and eternal death would be passed over us forever. And that's kind of what Jesus was explaining. He's saying, I am the lamb. I must die so that you can live. Jesus is our substitute. Tim Keller explains that all love, all real life changing love is substitutionary sacrifice. And then he offers this example. It says, years ago, I read in National Geographic that after a forest fire in Yellowstone National Park, some forest rangers began to walk up the mountain to, to survey the damage, and one ranger found a bird of which was nothing left but the carbonized, petrified shell covered in ashes, huddled at the base of a tree. And somewhat sickened, you know, kind of by this eerie sight, a ranger kind of walked over there and, and knocked the bird over with a stick. And to his surprise, three tiny chicks scurried out from under the wings of the dead mother. When the blaze had arrived, the mother had remained steadfast instead of running because she was willing to die. Those under the cover of her wings lived. And Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And he indeed gathered Jerusalem's children under his wings, and he was consumed. All real life-changing love is costly 
substitutionary sacrifice. It's always about a sacrifice, and that's why we, we come to remember. But again, I want to stress this, that the, the Lord's Supper is more than a memory. It's a miracle. It's a time of communion. We commune with Christ. We can get no closer to Jesus, this side of heaven, on earth. We can get no closer to Jesus than when we take and when we eat, and we take and we drink his body and his blood. We are one with Christ. And so what we have is this thing kind of going on here. You are with Christ, and Christ is in you. But get this, we are also one with one another. And so we have this thing going on as well. We commune together. Together we make up the body of Christ. See, we don't do this like at home individually. No, this is a communal event. We eat of the bread and we drink of the, the cup together. We are in communion with Christ and we are in fellowship. We are in communion with one another. We are the body of Christ, a body of believers. We're all in this together. All right, and I'm wrapping it up here with a story. Now, my story, a story by Pastor Fred Craddock. Sometime around this time of year, Pastor Craddock was invited to speak at the University of Winnipeg in Canada. Unfortunately, the night before his lecture, the city, this is years ago, okay, so the city got hit with a major unexpected snowstorm. And so they had to cancel the whole event, and now this pastor is stuck in some downtown hotel motel, and it's time for breakfast, and he bundles up, and he walks down the block, and he finds this little cafe at the, at the bus depot, and I'll let him tell it from here. I made it into the bus depot, and every stranded traveler in Western Canada was in this diner, strangers to one another and strangers to me, pressing and pushing and loud. I finally found a place to sit, and after a, a lengthy time, a man in a greasy apron came over and says, the only thing we got is soup. You want some soup? I said, that is exactly what I was going to order for breakfast. <laughs> yes, soup would be great, I'll take it. He brought over the soup and I put a spoon to it and uh, yuck, it was the awfulest. It, it was kind of gray looking. <laughs> it was so bad I couldn't eat it, but I sat there and I put my, my hands about it, it was warm. And so I sat there with my head down, bemoaning and beweeping my outcast state with this horrible soup. And the door opened again, and the, the wind was, was icy, and somebody yelled, close the door! And then came this woman clutching her little coat, and she found a place, and not far from me, and the, the greasy apron came over and said, what do you want? And she said, glass of water. He brought a glass of water, he took out his tablet, and now what do you have? We got soup. And she said, just the water. Look, he said, we, I got customers that pay. What do you think this is, a church or something? 
And she said, uh, just a glass of water and just a little time to get warm. Look, lady, there are people that are paying here. If you're not going to eat something, you got to leave. And he got really loud about it. And she got up to leave, and almost as if rehearsed, everybody in that little cafe stood up and started toward the door. And so I got up and I said, I'm voting for something here. I'm not sure what it is, but I'm with them. And the man in the greasy apron said, all right, all right, all right, she can stay. And everybody sat down and he brought her a bowl of soup. And I said to the person sitting by me, I said, who's she? He said, beats me, I've never seen her before. And the place grew quiet, but I heard the sipping of that awful soup. I said, I'm going to try it again. And I put my spoon to the soup. It wasn't bad soup. Everybody was eating the soup. I started eating the soup. It's pretty good soup. I had no idea what kind of soup it was. I don't know what was in it. But I recall when I was eating it, it tasted a little bit like bread and wine. Just a little like bread and wine. See, that's a community story there. That's a communion story. And you're in this one too. That's us. We're, we're all in the same spot. Same condition. We're all broke and broken. We're all in need of something warm. Something good. Some forgiveness. We're all in this place together. And so we've come to get what we need. And Christ has come. He's really present in this mysterious, miraculous meal. A little bread, a little wine. It's a gift. It's grace is what it is, and it's very, very good. Amen.